Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be together. Thanks so much for coming out and being here. I just was thinking as we were worshiping, um, I imagine there'll be a day where we tell stories about how we used to do it back in the old days, back in 2020. Um, we're like we're just sharing stories like, well, yeah, we met outside. We did what we needed to do. We, yeah, we, we did stuff online. We did what we needed to do just to be together. It's like the stories you hear about during revivals where they, you know, they cut holes in the ice to baptize people and stuff. We'll be sharing stories like that. So thank you for being part of that. And, and we know the Lord's going to take care of us and lead us to that future together. He's faithful. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my privilege to lead you uh, and teach, teaching the Word of God. We are in First John, just starting out. I think we're in our third message in the series. So we'll be in chapter 2, about midway through that chapter. So you can turn there, actually, verses... 3 through 11 in chapter 2. Um, and as you turn there, let me ask you, have you ever bought anything online? Probably most of us, right? Have you ever bought anything online and then found out when you got it, it wasn't what you expected? Um, you looked at it, you ordered it, maybe you didn't read everything, and you got it, and it just wasn't, wasn't the same. Uh, I've had it happen to me. You probably had it happen. I, I've I noticed that it's really important when it comes to iPhone chargers to check into things and not just buy the, the popular one. Um, vitamins as well. I had a friend actually who bought something online, this is some years ago, and uh, what arrived at her home was not the thing, though it was, it was a picture. So what someone was selling was a picture of the item. She paid full price for it and got a picture in the mail. Um, so what do you do? How do you make sure that you, you know, you don't, Buy something that isn't the real deal. You read the reviews, right? Yeah. You read the reviews. You read them carefully. Make sure that you're not just reading the one that the producer puts there, but real people who had a real experience with that item. And they can say, yes, indeed, this works this way. That's how we do it. We read the reviews. We, we check out the behavior, the performance of that item to make sure it is indeed such an item, that its claims are true. Well, that's what's going on in 1 John. That's what John is doing in the Word here. And in this section of Scripture, once again, he is saying this is what the performance of the item should look like. And what he's basically doing to us is encouraging us to read the review and to review our own lives and the lives of others to see if indeed we really know Jesus. What we're going to find out is that those that know Jesus obey Jesus. Those that know God obey God. He's going to describe and fill that picture out as we go through the passage. So let's pray that we might learn and discern um, in this important category. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us what we need to discern and look at our own lives and look at the lives of others and to see if indeed there's real life there. We thank you for the real life you give. This, this whole message and the context would not be happening apart from the fact that you do give life and you do bring people to genuinely know you. We thank you for that. And we, we trust, Lord, in knowing you by grace. We can hear your word and respond to it today. So speak to us. Use me, Lord, to serve your precious people, everyone here, and to glorify your name. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. First John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly 
the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. God's word from 1 John 2, 3 through 11. So I want to teach what's here. I think the central message is those who know God obey God. And there are three aspects to this in this passage. It speaks of knowing God and keeping His commandments. Knowing God and the new slash old commandment. Knowing God and loving others. So let's jump in and look through this passage. Um, first, knowing God and keeping His commandments. Verse 3 the first part of our section starts out, uh, and by this we know that we have come to know Him. Two times in the sentence we see the word know. Actually, in First John, the word know and, and its two different forms are used. Uh, the word is used 45 times in the letter. This is a letter about knowing God. This is a letter about knowing that you know God. And so, John starts out, by this we know that we've come to know him. That's what he's going to do throughout this whole section, is, is throughout the whole letter, is, is say, this is how you know that you've come to know him. This is how you know that you know God genuinely. And this is so important for us. This is a wonderful letter that's so important for us because we will struggle at times personally. And we will wonder, do I know God? What do I need to do? What do I need to measure? What do I need to evaluate to assure myself that I know him? And so this letter is very helpful in just assuring us when we do know Him, that we know Him. It also is a warning for us. Because perhaps as we look at these qualities that are in this letter, as we look at our own lives, we recognize, I actually don't measure up in any of these qualities. And so there's a warning here for us. If we, don't, if we say we know Him, but we really don't, the other way it serves us as well is because we live in a world that is full of people who would claim to know God, but don't. There are many, there are many false Jesuses out there. And so this letter equips us to evaluate and to, and to relate to those people in the right way. That doesn't mean that you're arrogant and self-righteous, but you're discerning. And you can be equipped to know how to relate to other people as they make various claims. So this is really helpful. To know that you know Him. To know what it looks like to know Him. And here in this section, he's going to add another quality. He uses a lot of if statements. So we know, we've come to know Him if, what? If we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments. It's The requirement is to keep His commandments. If you know Him, you will keep His commandments. It's a quality. Now, I had said, I think, last time about this uh, in John. It's not a if-then sort of uh, contract sort of statement. 
not saying if you keep his commandments, therefore you'll know him, right? So if I today do really well uh, in not murdering anybody, then I know him. Um, it's really the other way around. If I know him, you'll see this lifestyle. So if you really know him, you'll, you will keep his commandments. This, will, this is something that flows out of knowing him. So the basis here in John, it's not that John gets things mixed up compared to the rest of Scripture, that somehow God let this letter in that's saying it's, the whole arrangement is a legalistic one. If you do this, you get that. The Bible's never that way. It's always grounded in the grace of God, the goodness of God. He's the one that brings light in life. He's the one that, that brings repentance and salvation in our own lives. He creates in us this new life through relationship with Him via faith, according to truth. And when there's that new life there, it's characterized in certain ways. So He's describing what the life of knowing Him looks like. And it involves keeping His commandments. That's part of the requirement the, that, that goes with it, the quality that goes with knowing Him in, in, this, in this description. He, he says... Um, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you say you know him, if one says that, but does not keep his commandments, that person is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And it's interesting, John says things often that seem repetitive, right? Why say, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you? It's like, wait a second, you just said the same thing twice. Well, John does that a lot in, in this letter, and they're actually, uh, it's actually done for a reason. It's not the same thing. There's slight differences, and those slight differences teach us aspects about this. And so if you think about it, he says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Well, lying is an outward thing. You're lying. You outwardly are false. You are deceiving yourself and you're deceiving others. It's an outward thing. You're lying. It's external falsehood. And the truth is not in you. That's internal. So you're thoroughly deceitful. You are projecting something that's false, but you're also, there's something false in you. You actually think that you're okay. You think you know him when you don't. The truth isn't in you. The truth, the truth of the word of God isn't there. You think it is, but it isn't. So he's saying basically you're thoroughly a liar. That's the reality. This is, this is um, strong, and it's meant for our good to get that, to think about that, and, and as we look at our own lives and look outward as well. Um, so the truth is not in him. Um, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So going back, he, he does a lot of this going back and forth, right? We've seen that already. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Whoever keeps his word, if, if the word of God, the truth of who Jesus is, the reality of the gospel, the good news of Christ crucified for my sins and raised to new life and victory over sin and death, the truth that He is God in the flesh. The truth that, that when we come to Him in faith, there's this relationship, this union we have with Him that produces in us new life. The truth of the, the whole Word of God that comes along with that, but the core being Christ Himself. If we keep His Word, if we guard His Word, if we, if we, if we live around His Word, if it is in us, as the, the contrast is the truth not being in you, but whoever keeps His Word, you are someone who keeps his word. In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. So somebody who keeps his word, who lives around the good news of Christ, lives around the authority of God's word and relationship with God, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Wow, what a statement. 
Truly, the love of God is perfected in this person. The love of God has its way to perfection. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that somehow the love of God is perfected in the one who keeps his word? How do we understand that? Well, always good to look at the rest of the letter, right? And to look at the rest of Scripture. So John uses this word perfect elsewhere um, in chapter 4 of 1 John. He says, Beloved, if uh, God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, that's the gospel, we also ought to love one another. That's the fruit of the gospel. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. So we, we haven't seen God visibly with our eyes. But if we love one another, if we're those who are loving one another, living in this lifestyle of loving one another because we truly know God, if we love one another, God abides in us. That's the reality. And then it says this, and his love is perfected in us. So here it's speaking of the love of God, both the love of God for us and our love for others. That's what it means when it says the love of God is perfected in us. It's this lifestyle of love, living and receiving his love, depending on his love, believing his love, that he actually loves us this much, that he gave his only son for us. He was glad to do this. To give his only son, the son was glad to bear our burdens to rescue us because he's loved us from before time began that we might belong to him. He loves you. He's for you. He's going to keep you. He's going to bring you to that final day when you're before him, forgiven and rewarded. It's all of his grace and these ways. He loves you. If you get that love, it can't help but work in you this new life of love for others. That's the love, love of God. And if, if you are someone who lives in this, the love of God is perfected in you. It goes on. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him in chapter 4, verse 17, 16, 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in the world. Then this perhaps well-known verse, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Interesting. So this is what I believe John's saying, that the word perfect here is not perfect in the sense of being sinless, right? That's very clear, because he said earlier, right? If you claim you don't have sin, you're a liar too, <laughs> right? So obviously we still sin, and we are to walk together in the light and, and be honest with each other in appropriate ways to confess together and to live in the light together, to run to Jesus together. So obviously perfect here doesn't mean sinless. That won't happen until we go to be with the Lord, we're glorified in Him. Perfect here, the word is used in Scripture to mean also complete and mature. So we tend to think of perfect means like without fault. But it also, the sense of mature and complete. The end product, the, the intention is accomplished. That's the idea here. And so the person who gets the love of God, lives in it, depends on it, believes it, receives it, and then lets it work its way out in loving others, Loving God first. We love because He first loved us. We love Him. We love others. We love those that are hard to love because the love of God is an endless resource at work in our lives. That creates in us maturity, Christ-likeness. And so this perfection is speaking of a maturity that, that when you are one who lives in the love of God, depends on it, and it fills your heart, and empowers you, you live it out. It's perfected. It's mature. It's noticeable. 
They, people see Jesus in you. You're not perfect, but they do see Jesus in you. That's what John is talking about. And later on, we'll get to this when we get to chapter 4, but that this fear that gets driven out is, the, is, is fearfulness that I don't know Him. It's, it's the fearfulness that comes when we depend on ourselves and we forget that it's all because of His love for us. And so when we get His love, we, we know we're safe and secure. And when we look at our lives and see love, we, we know that we do actually belong to Him. And so that drives away fear. We don't live in fear like, oh no, I, I may not belong to Him. What am I going to do? So that's what John's talking about later and here as well. That's wonderful. Whoever keeps His Word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. So the, the Word, when we keep the Word, it has an effect in us. This is not just like an intellectual exercise. You get smarter, you know more theology. You might. But actually what is supposed to happen, the measure of how well someone knows theology, how well someone knows the Bible, how well someone knows God is the fruit of their lives and loving others. That's how you measure it. That's what John is saying here. That's what Jesus said. It says, by this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. If you say you belong to Him, if you're part of Him, you remain in Him, you abide in Him, you need to walk the way He walked. He lived a life of love. Jesus says in John 13, by this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. The characteristic of Jesus' disciples is they look like Jesus. They love one another. And it shows. So if you say you abide in Him, then of course you need to look like Him. And He is perfect love, complete love, glorious love lived out. There's no greater love than to give your life for someone else. Jesus certainly did that, but even more. It says in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus loved you so much that He lowered Himself in all His divine prerogatives. He didn't grasp them. They were fully accessible to Him, but He didn't grasp them. He lowered Himself and humbled Himself to become human and to live a real, genuine human life. He didn't take shortcuts as a human, by the way. He was just the faithful human. He became human in His love for us. He lowered Himself in taking on flesh and identifying with us at that level. But even more, He lived as a servant. He lived as a humble man, serving others constantly, loving others. When He was exhausted, He still served. Exhausted and hungry, He's sitting by a well, overcome with thirst, and yet He says, I have food you know nothing of his disciples because he cared so much about his father's will and his father's will to rescue that Samaritan woman that he could have the energy to speak to her to share with her to point her to himself salvation 
That's who he is. He lived that way and, and, and his life demonstrated it and even more so his death demonstrated it because he died in our place on the cross. He didn't just die for one other person, but for all. And he bore our sin in him on the cross. He is the propitiation we saw last week. The propitiation for our sins. He offered up his righteous, beautiful, glorious life for you to pay for your sins, to pay the full penalty so it could be fully paid. It is finished, he said. If you belong to him and you come to faith in him, it is finished. All of your sins, past, present, and future are paid for already. He bore your sins and he offered his righteous life in your place so that the Father would receive that offering and receive the payment and receive you. In his love for you. He wanted to be able to do that. And through Christ. That's possible for you. So that's love. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. This is love. That's what love looks like. God himself lowering himself to serve you. And to give himself. To give his all. Sacrificing all for you. That's wonderful love. There's no greater love. And when we start to get that love, it changes us. And it makes us love like Him. And it shows. We walk like He walks. That's what, that's what John's saying here. If you say you know Him, you need to show it in obeying His commandments. And this commandment to love, we're going to get into that shortly. To, that you need to look like Him and love like Him. Imagine you have a friend who's really into CrossFit. Anyone here into CrossFit? No one's into CrossFit. That, yeah. Some of us don't know what it is. Um, I'm not into CrossFit, but I, I admire those who are. Anyhow, you've, imagine you have a friend who's, who says they're really into CrossFit, and, um, and you draw them out about CrossFit, and they, you know, this, this friend says, well, there's nothing like it. It's you know, group-based exercise, uh, the combination of strength and Metcon exercises with the AMRAP, EMOM, and WAD and Tabata workouts are all great. They all make such a difference in my life. And you're sitting there listening, puzzling over what these new words possibly mean. And you say, wow, that's cool. What gym do you belong to? And your friend says, yeah, the, you know, the gym down the street here. That's, that's where I belong. You're like, wow, how often do you go? And he kind of pauses and looks away for a second. And says, well, I, I went once a while back. I'm hoping to go more regularly. And at that point in time, you realize that your friend's identification as a CrossFit athlete is down the tubes, false advertising. Because if you're a CrossFit athlete, you need to do CrossFit. You need to go to the gym. You need to be regular. Your, your behavior shows what you really are. And that's what John's saying here. That if you are someone who knows Jesus, you go to the gym. You, there's, there's something to see. You go to the gym regularly. You live the life. That's, that's the point here. There's love in your life. There's something to show for it. You go to the gym. So, so if that's not you, what do you do? Start going to the gym. You kind of stretch the metaphor. Come to church. Get around those who are learning to do this who are learning to live in the light, who are learning to be honest with themselves before God and before others, and learning to depend on Jesus and finding Him love that propels us and empowers us to love others. Don't just try to love others. 
without the power source. You will fail. But when you know him, it can't help to be the truth in your life that you will love others. Well, John goes on. He says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Uh, there is this aspect here now of knowing God and the new old commandment. He speaks about commandments throughout his letter. And it's important to understand, again, what he means by that. Because this word in Scripture uh, can be used slightly different ways. Actually, in John, it's both commandment and commandments, plural. He uses both of them almost interchangeably. And so he's speaking of this. We could take guesses, of course, uh, because if you know uh, the rest of Scripture in John, this is similar language. But right in chapter 3, he says this, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. This is His commandment, singular, that we do two things. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus, and love one another. Isn't that interesting? Commandment, singular, two different things to do. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus, and love one another, just as He commanded us. This is so instructive for us, because it points to the reality that that when you know God and believe in Him, you will obey Him. That's what it does. It reinforces this. And the rest of Scripture does as well. The rest of Scripture teaches us that knowing God always results in loving God and loving others. The law is really the details of love. And so the good news of God's grace, the gospel ultimately expressed, fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection for us, always goes along with the law. And the law is always meant to go with the gospel. They're not to be separated. They only get separated when we don't understand Scripture and we are reliant on ourselves. That's where legalism comes in. And it's not like when you get the gospel you don't need the law anymore because now you're free. No, you are free and you have new life so that in that you might truly love. Yes, you're free and forgiven, but that freedom is meant to be used in this new life that's in you and love. So they always go together. So important to understand that and avoid the errors of legalism on one side and what's called license on the other, where you just say it doesn't matter or it's all that matters. No, they couple together and they couple together beautifully in, in John. This is his commandment, singular, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus and love one another as he commanded us. That's the commandment that John is speaking about right here, that we would love one another, that we would believe him, that we would receive his great love for us and love one another. That's what it looks like when you know God. You do both of these things. True rescue from sin and self, true redemption means that we are not only forgiven, not only that we are justified before God and reconciled with Him, but we're also regenerated, enlivened, and transformed by Him. Salvation is not a state of mind merely, but a state of being. It encompasses everything about us. What we believe, what we receive, what we do, they all go together. They're meant to go together. So it's really important that we don't dissect those things and have intellectual faith here and, and what we do there. They, they go together. And it comes as we receive the good news. We receive the gospel. We believe it. We receive Jesus as this amazing gift for us. Freely given to be received freely. It starts with the gift doesn't start with your works. It starts with the gift of receiving what He's done for you and who He is and all that that means. And then to live in light of that, to love others. 
So John says this is an old commandment. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. Why does he say that? Well, it's an old commandment because it's as old as God himself. This is who God is. He is love. He is the inventor of love, the author of love, the propeller, sustainer of love, the completer of love. He is the one who shows us what love is. He's the one who has given us the capacity to get what love is and to live. He's given us this ability in our hearts to recognize it and have it captivate us. He's made us in his image, and that's why when you watch a movie like we watched last night, radio, um, and just watching this, this based on a true story about this coach who takes in this uh, mentally disabled young man and takes him under his wing. It's a wonderful story, and Peg and I are watching it and weeping and just saying, wow, how wonderful. Why? Because we're made in his image. We get how glorious and good love is. It comes from him. It's an old command. It's been around it's as long as old as he is, and it's always been there when he's related to people. He exemplifies it himself always, and he calls us to the same. It's an old commandment, and you've had it from the beginning. He says to the readers here, they have heard of it from the beginning because as part of them hearing the good news of Jesus would have been to have heard this commandment. Now, in light of this, love. You guys had it from the, from the get-go. You understood in coming to Jesus, you're, you're turning away from hate and selfishness, and you're turning to his love and his ways. So it's old, but it's also, it says, not old. At the same time, verse 8, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Okay, John, I don't get it. It's old, it's new. Which one is it? Well, it's both. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So he explains why it's a new commandment. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And and before that, he says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So that description, in him and in you, and that the light, the darkness is passing, the light is shining, that, that... explains why it can be a new commandment. Because there's something radically new going on here. See, this commandment is just is no longer an external commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's no longer external. It's no longer God righteously, rightfully saying love. It's now Jesus exemplifying it. And when you receive Jesus, his life is in you. So this commandment is true in Jesus. He exemplified it. He incarnated it. He lived it out. He fulfilled it. It's true in him. And because now he is in you, it's true in you. So there's something radically new about this and wonderful going on here. And then John says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, this new thing of the life of Christ in us, who is the light, is doing something new in the earth because the darkness is passing away. Those who live in darkness and are darkened are being changed by this light. The light is coming in. The life of Jesus is coming into people's lives and transforming us. And and He's working and He has a plan. And there's many, many, many people who are receiving this light. And living in this light. And the darkness is passing away. This is a yard full of examples of it. At one time, Jesus was not in you. And you lived in the ways of the world. That might have looked relatively good or really bad. 
But nevertheless, it was life without God. And yet at some point in time, you heard the good news and you understood not only that it was true, but that it was good and and a, a glorious thing to receive. And you embraced it. And His life came to dwell in you. And you saw changes. You weren't perfect. You still are not perfect. But you saw new love in your life for Him and for others. I can remember how radical that was when I was a new believer because I had been a bully and I had been just into my friends, my, my jock bully clique, and all of a sudden I started really loving people that were the people that I would have beat up before. <laughs> um, I got beat up too, but, but all of a sudden they were wonderful people that I so appreciated and respected and loved. And So I saw that in my life in the very beginning and, and you have your own examples. That's what John's talking about. Darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. That this work is going on. And it's going on in our lives. It's going on throughout the globe. The darkness can do nothing but flee from the light. When the light shines, the darkness doesn't overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. When light shines, it dispels the darkness. And that's what's going on in Jesus. It's happening. The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. There is work going on in the world. God is at work. There is progress. There is living proof all over the world. And we live in an extraordinary time of of progress in the gospel, progress in new life in Christ. There's lots of other things going on, bad things, but there's also so much good going on. I would estimate actually in the past 20 years that the the Bible-believing population in New England has doubled. The stats that I'm aware of, I think it's doubled. Uh, That's amazing. Um, It's going on throughout the world. There are groups that are are coming to faith in Christ, and there's new life, and there's change going on. Nepal is an example as well. This work is continuing. Uh, God is at work. There are promises that He will affect all groups, all ethnic groups, all all small groups of ethnically distinct people will be affected by the gospel before Jesus comes back. The church will fully represent a mature believer. Ephesians 4. The bride will be made ready for Christ's return, we learn in Revelation. The full number of Gentiles will come in, and then all of Israel will be saved. There will be a revival in in knowing and embracing Christ among Jewish people. There will be a countless number worshiping God in heaven. The light is displacing the darkness and will displace the darkness. Do you believe this? Or in your world is the darkness taking over and the light diminishing? Is that how you see this world and what God's doing? John says otherwise. The scriptures, the promises say otherwise. Now there's ebbs and flow here throughout history. I can't tell you what exactly will happen in the next 10 or 100 years, but I do know the light will continue to shine until the promises of God to finish the work are accomplished. And we do live in an extraordinary age for this. Sin will remain. Fallen humanity will still exist. There will be these other aspects of difficulty. The church might be the most glorious in the time that it's most persecuted. But the light will shine. And the darkness will be displaced. Theologians use the term already but not yet to describe this. I think it's a really helpful and important term to, to understand, to be familiar with. Already and not yet. Already, the kingdom has come. Already, Jesus brought the kingdom. 
the king has already come and died and risen from the grave. He's reigning right now. And there are people coming to faith in Christ. There's real kingdom progress in the earth. And, and I've spent some time recently uh, citing those things. We see the effect of Christianity not only in, in being saved from sins and new life in Him, but the effects on culture. Many of the things we take for granted are a product of Christianity's influence on Western culture. So there's lots going on. It's already... The light is shining. There's change. The kingdom has come and is coming. And, and I trust in our lifetime, even more and more, we will see this progress. It is already here, but it's not yet. Because sin remains. And until Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, and to bring His eternal kingdom, perfected kingdom, there'll still be sin. There'll still be things in culture that oppose Him. The, the devil and his minions will still have some degree of ability to work. Those things will continue. So it's not yet, but it is already. And so that phrase, already not yet, helps us kind of hold those things together. They're meant to go together. And if we're too much already, we're going to tend to think, well, it's all done and I'm, uh, I'm all good. And not see the reality. It's not all done and you're not all good. You need Jesus. You'll start depending on yourself and forgetting Jesus and forgetting the work if, you're, if it's already and not yet. But if you're not yet and not already, you're going to, not see that God actually has things that He wants to do and will do, and you get to be a part of it. You'll be pessimistic, and you won't participate in the mission. Because it's not yet. There's no already. It's just not yet. And you won't have the mind of God. So they go together, already and not yet. And that's a good way to understand this. Um, that, that He is at work. The light is shining. Well, I think I'm running out of time, so I will move on to the next point. And just in that, guys, uh, the light is shining. The darkness is being dis dispelled. So put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in the life of God. This is the program for the light. It, it's, it's Jesus in us. Don't put your hope elsewhere. Now, He will work in other arenas of life, don't, but don't put your hope there. Don't put your hope in this coming election one way or the other. Please, don't do that. Now, vote intelligently. Vote as a Christian. But don't put your hope there. Put your hope in Jesus, who is the light and wants to shine in the darkness no matter who is elected. Put your hope in Him. Don't put it in science, as good as that might be. Put your hope in Jesus in the light. Don't certainly put it in humanity to somehow we'll all just get along. We'll all, all get along when we all know Jesus. Put your hope in the one who is shining and dispelling the darkness. Final point, knowing God and loving the people of God. So John turns here in the last section to the interpersonal aspect again. He says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So, if you are in the light, you will love your brother. If you hate your brother, you're not in the light. A believer cannot be a believer and persist in hating his brother or sister in Christ. That's what this is saying. Stark and straightforward and simple. You can't hate another Christian and say you're a Christian. That's, that's the truth that's here. If you hate your brother, you're in the darkness and you're stumbling around. But if you're in the light, you will love your brother. 
we live in a time where this is perhaps a stronger temptation than at some other times. There's a lot of hate out there. And there's a lot of systems and institutions and people who thrive on hate. They feed off of it. They get you to follow their posts and their blogs through hate. And when it comes to hating anybody, but certainly a believer, it's dangerous. There's a lot of temptations for this out there, right? Let me maybe mention a few items that will, I think, illustrate this. Should we wear masks? Always? Never? Should others have to wear masks? Is COVID a real threat? Or is it somewhat manufactured? Should the church be allowed to meet without restrictions? Where the church? Should the church not meet in public until there's a vaccine? Should we require masks or not? Should we stand boldly? Okay. If that one didn't tempt you, let me give another one. Is Donald Trump the best candidate a Christian should vote for in November? Or is it unchristian to vote for Donald Trump? Is Joseph Biden the best candidate a Christian should vote for? Or is it unchristian to vote for Joseph Biden? How are you doing right now? Blood pressure? Take your pulse? How's it feeling? All right, we got one more. Black Lives Matter. Is it a legitimate movement for racial justice that is too long in coming? Or is it a cover for anarchy and anti-Christian, anti-American philosophies. I could go on, but you're probably thinking, please, no more. Um, I think you get my point. And I'm not denying that there aren't legitimate issues to wrestle with in all these points. That, I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not my point. My point is how you wrestle with these things. How you think through these things. And how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, online. When you're anonymous and they're anonymous, but even more importantly, your brothers and sisters right here in this church and your fellow humans around you who have very different views. How do you relate? And is there hate in you? Or is there love? Those who walk in the light truly love their brothers and sisters. And there's nothing in them to make others stumble. There's no cause for stumbling. John says in verse 10. There's no cause for stumbling. That's uh, insightful. When there's love, there's no cause for stumbling. When there's hate, we need to uh, infer that there's cause for stumbling. Because when there's hate, there's something there that's going to offend somebody and mis misrepresent Jesus. And this word stumbling is, is, is something, it's a scandalous thing. It's something that makes them stumble. Not just like, oh, that's kind of hard, but, but to be like, oh, I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore. That's the stumbling that goes on here. That's what John's saying. When you say you believe in Jesus and you demonstrate hate in your life, you can cause others to stumble because they can think, oh, it mustn't be true. If that is what a Christian looks like, then Christianity can't be true. That's the idea here. That's the danger here. Hear that, right? Hear what Jesus said. It's better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Your hate could be tempting others. It's sobering. 
and it goes on to describe the person as, as bumbling around in the dark. Whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If hate is ruling your life, then you are blind and you're stumbling around. And ultimately, that's going to lead to destruction of others potentially, but certainly of yourself. So those who know God love those who know God. They can have a discussion on these issues in a way that's constructive and loving versus hateful. They, they walk in the light together. And in closing, we see from this whole section that our lives need to demonstrate the fruit of knowing Him. I started with the illustration of reviews and buying something online. What does your review look like? If someone were to follow you around during the day and throughout the week and write up a review, how many stars would you get for your assertion that you know God, you belong to Jesus? Would it be a half a star or five stars? How many stars would you get? What does your life look like? Does your life show love? For others, would they see that? Or would they watch what you do online and think, oh, I don't know well, if they know Jesus or not? How many stars would you get? Think about that. And then do what we all need to do with that. Because maybe you're a half a star and you're realizing that. What do you do with that? John tells us earlier what to do, right? Come into the light. Come into the light. Come to Jesus. He says, if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all our sin. Don't be afraid to face that you're only half a star. Come to Jesus. He died for half a star and really zero stars. <laughs> he died for you so that you can be forgiven and you can have His five-star rating credit, credited to your account that you could learn to become more and more like Him. So come into the light. Those who know God Walk in the light and obey God's commandments. So, brothers and sisters, let us walk with Jesus in the light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of 1 John. We thank you for the life of God in us. Thank you for forgiveness, Jesus. And now, Lord, help us to come to the light and to walk in the light, to love one another, Glorify your worthy name, we pray. Amen.